Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Please subscribe, leave a review, comment, share, and consider supporting the podcast on Patreon, even at the producer and sponsorship levels. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Madeline Claire Weiss about peak performance decision-making and the impact of decision-making on work and life. Madeline Claire Weiss, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. My pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Actually, you're joining us again. I'm trying to remember the last time you uh, were a guest, but it's been a little while. It's been a hot minute. Um, It's great to have you back, though. And today we're going to be talking about peak performance decision making and the impact of decision making on work and life. I think there's a lot of really fun stuff to unpack there. And before we get started, I just wanted to share Madeline's bio with everybody. Madeline Claire Weiss is a Harvard trained licensed psychotherapist, mindset expert and board certified executive life coach with an MBA currently in private practice in Washington, D.C. She is the co-author in the Handbook of Stress Transitions Across the Lifespan and best-selling author of Getting to Great Five-Step Strategy for Work and Life. Madeline is a former group mental health practice administrative director, a corporate chief organizational development officer, and the associate director of the Anatomical Gift Program at Harvard Medical School pleasure to have you back. Anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your um, personal context, personal story before we launch on into the conversation? Maybe at the end, I would love to tell everybody where they can learn more, but we can save that. Okay. Yeah. Sounds great. Okay. So as we dive on into the conversation, um, why don't you just really define for us what you mean by peak performance decision-making? So uh, you mentioned this, which sits with me, you know. So after, like it's about two months after the book came out, I saw this study that said that adult humans typically make about 35,000 decisions every day. I thought, wow, that's like so many decisions. They said that about 200 of them were about food. And I think that might be low, but that's okay. And I realized, you know, there's this five-step strategy, but what is that strategy and what is life altogether other than a bunch of decisions we make all day, every day? Some of them are big, some of them are little, and some of them really shape our lives 
And I think you know from previous discussions that when I was 15 years old and my father was 42 years old, he died suddenly of a stroke. And according to my mother, he died of work. So I'm uh, pretty motivated to learn as much as I can and do whatever I can to help any little girl or boy, mommy or daddy or anybody at all, not have to go that way. Um, so I try to learn and, and bring the learning. So I was thinking decision-making, wow, if we could get a little better at that, what a difference that would make. So I dug into the science, you know, I have this weekly blog and I take a piece of uh, some study and start riffing on that. And um, I did that about decision-making and boy, did I find a whole bunch of stuff that we're all getting dead wrong. Great. That's a great introductory framing and you've teased it. So let, let's go there. What, what are we getting wrong about decision-making? We, like you said, we're making gazillion decisions each and every day. Some of them are conscious. A lot of them are unconscious. Um, we have all these mental shortcuts to try to make decisions, which also means a lot of times our personal biases and prejudices are going to be shaping the decisions we're making, even when we're not fully aware of it, which means we may not be making the actual type of decision we want to make if we were fully aware of what we were doing. Um, and so we have all of this going on. Of course, that impacts the, our work life. It impacts our home life, our family life, um, everything about what we do every day is driven by all of these little micro decisions we're making all day long, including, you know, some of the big major um, monumental decisions. So what are we getting wrong? Well said, thank you. You really um, put that well, you know, even getting out of bed in the morning, people don't realize that's a decision, you know, so you're right. It's happening consciously and unconsciously. And here's, here's what I found. I like to put it in a nutshell, which is go fast, go bold, go emo, which is the word my children use for emotional, go fast, go bold, go emo, go high. And what I really mean by that is go faster, go bolder, go more emotional and go higher. But I like to keep the words succinct, so fast, okay? Some of you, maybe you have heard of Bourdon's ass. And for those who don't know about Bourdon's ass, Bourdon's ass is a donkey. And there are images on the internet if you look it up and the donkey is presented, uh, I've seen it two different ways. So there are two identical bales of hay or there's a bale of hay and a pail of water. And this is a life and death decision for this donkey to pick one of those and go for it. But the donkey, because it's life and death, wants to get this right. So the donkey is taking all good measure and time to make a really good decision. And while the donkey is trying to decide, the donkey dies of hunger or thirst, whichever image you want to do. And there was a study and they found that the CEOs who made decisions faster made better decisions. The reason is 
people think that the harder a decision is, and this is like one of these dead wrong, that the harder a decision is, the more time we should take to make the decision. But the reason that the decision is hard is because there's equal uh, merit or opportunity or threat on either side. So pick one and make it work. I was just going to say, uh, you know, that d- decision paralysis, um, right. analysis paralysis, right? Like people get stuck in that. I've known so many leaders that find themselves self-stuck and I get it. Like you're making these big decisions that are going to impact a lot of people's lives. You want to try to get it right. Uh, you want to take in as much information as you can talk to key stakeholders, like all of that. And to an extent, I think that's important that you try to do those things. But once you get to the point where you have as much reasonable data as you can expect, you know, the utility of it all has to be considered. So you can't endlessly collect data, but you have a reasonable amount of information so you can make a decent decision. And then you just have to choose and decide. And if you're continually punting the decision, which so many leaders do because they don't want to get stuck with a bad decision, um, then, then you're just, you're, people are going to get so frustrated with you. Um, I've, I've been, um, in organizations under leaders like that. And people are just so frustrated. I've also seen it when I'm coaching or consulting with organizations where leaders um, are doing that. It it really hurts culture. It hurts innovation. It hurts so many things. And so, so ultimately you have to think about, you know, in the calculus of like your decision-making recognize that the longer it takes you to make a decision, even if it ends up not being the greatest decision in the world, the longer it takes for you to do that is going to have all these other unintended consequences that maybe you're not even fully thinking about or uh, putting into the calculation of, of making the decision. And so just move. Um, I, I once, I I think I tend to be one that can make decisions pretty quickly. Um, I want to take in relevant information. And if someone has new information for me, that's going to impact, I want to hear it. Uh, and Mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I, I, I consider myself to be a fairly, um, teachable that way. Like if, if I have, if I'm set on a path, but then someone brings me other data that suggests that's not the right path to go, you know, I, I can be persuaded. Um, and anyways, because of the way just my head works uh, around these things, uh, I tend to make faster decisions. And I've had people um, who, while I think most people appreciate it, I ha- have had people who said, man, it kind of bothers me that, you know, this, this thing ha- uh, has come before us. You, you sought input, you got, um, you know, advice, you, you talked to different people to get different perspectives, but you made a decision I, it would have taken me a lot longer and I'm not sure you actually gave it enough thought. Um, so there's that, there's that kind of flip side to it that I've had to navigate a little bit, but honestly, I think that's the super my, uh, minority of individuals uh, who get uncomfortable when a leader, you know, is, is yeah. bold and, and moves forward. People confuse time with focused attention. They're not the, they're not the same thing. So everything you just said It's very exciting for me to hear because it's very well supported by the studies. For example, while people are sitting around and waiting for perfect information to fall on their lap, a certain period of time that goes by where the brain doesn't process anything anymore anyway. So there's no point in sitting and waiting for that because you're not even going to take it in, even if it comes to you. You're 100% correct, according to the science, that the people around you, if they're watching you 
hesitate, they're not going to follow you. And even if you're making a great decision, if you're not implementing it, which means influencing others on board, then it doesn't matter how great your decision was anyway. So the only people who are really um, happy about watching you wallow around are your competition who may be acting bolder than you are. So that brings us to bold. Go yeah, bold. excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So they did a study and they found that the people who stayed in their comfort zone months down the line were not as happy as the people who actually leaped out of the comfort zone to do something bolder than they were accustomed to doing. And that fits really well with, I don't know if you and I talked before about this Yale study that I love, which found that, you know, the brain likes to be really efficient, doesn't want to waste any energy. So if you're in your comfort zone, you're comfortable, your brain figures, everything's fine. And the learning and motivation center shut down because there's nothing to do. So we're going to rest and conserve energy now. The only way they say that the, um, you need to be like 70% outside of your comfort zone for there to be optimal learning, which you need learning and motivation. You need that fired up in order to solve problems and move forward. So when you're in your comfort zone, there's not that much happening and it's not that much fun. And then to segue to emo, um, who said anything about fun? Whoever said decision-making was supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be emotional. It's supposed to be rational, logical, right, wrong. So they found, and this goes back to the classic uh, Psych 101 study, Phineas Gage, um, where he had a um, frontal cortex brain injury, and he seemed kind of all right on the surface, but his judgment was all off. And there's another story about a more recent one about an MD who couldn't get dressed in the morning. He had the same kind of frontal cortex injury and his um, higher brain was not connected to the emotional centers. So he'd look at like three different pairs of pants in the morning and he didn't, he couldn't feel his preference. So he just stood there staring at the pants and they're, that's sort of anecdotal, but there are more recent scientific studies that say that when the um, emotional centers are not feeding data to the other parts of the brain, decision-making, planning, judgment, all of those things really are impaired. So what you want is an integrated brain so to refresh us all on that, this is the emotional center that is freaked out that it doesn't like what it's picking up from the outside world or can be really excited about something that's going on in the outside world. And so this thing, when it gets really agitated for better and for worse, it knocks, this is the hand model of the brain, it knocks the higher brain 
offline and we never want this thing to be making decisions for us. What we want is this thing to feed data to the higher brain in an integrated way so that you're having decisions that are taking everything into account. You're feeling clear, you're feeling calm, you're feeling ready to move because everything is integrated and working. So I think um, as we think more about some of what we're getting wrong, you, it's helpful to think about the brain science behind all of this. And I think you've done a good job of, of laying out some of these initial components. Um, take us a little bit further. What, what else are we getting dead wrong? And what can we do about it to make adjustments so that we can make better decisions and have a you know, uh, just a more functional and meaningful work life and, and home life. So you may recall the first line of my book is a great life depends on a great fit between who we are and the environments in which we work and live. So in order to have a uh, great life, and I broke that down into G dot, R dot, E dot, A dot, T dot. The G was for grounding. We have to decide to believe that a great life is even possible. Usually when people come to work with me, they just want some of the pain to stop. So there, there are gurus who have mentored me who believe that everything is a decision we make. So the willingness to believe that this is even possible is the first decision on this journey. And then, of course, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Academy courses, micro credentials, and certificates to upskill and reskill. For the future of work. All HCI Academy courses, micro-credentials, and certificates are designed, developed, and delivered by award-winning and internationally renowned scholars, educators, thought leaders, executives, and practitioners. Our courses, micro-credentials, and certificates will help you make your mark on the future of work and make an immediate impact in your organizations. Check out the HCI Academy and our many course offerings and certificates to upskill and reskill for the future of work. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think.
if you're going to fit the environment to who you really are, you need to know, you need to recognize that's the R, who you really are. And that is not who someone else decided you should be, or even who you may have decided you should be a long time ago, but something that is, is more consistent with your true er interests, values, dreams, aspirations, fears, whatever. And so those are decisions we make about who we want to be in the world. And my clients are making those with me all the time, not based on teasing out what other people thought they should be, teasing out what they always thought they should be. And then when they realize, when they've decided who they want to be in the world, then they go exploring and they decide what kinds of venues out there they want to consider to bring into their lives or to enter into with their lives. So there are all kinds. That's kind of when I saw those 35,000 decisions. I thought, of course, every step of the way is packed with decisions and you want to make them from your healthiest you. So, and then of course you can't just stay in dreamland, which the E is sort of dreamland. Can't stay in dreamland forever. Um, William James said that action doesn't guarantee happiness, but there's no happiness without it. So we have to take some action. And I think I heard you saying um, in there, that you take action. And I was taught also that each intervention is based on the outcome of the one that came before it. So you're never a hundred percent certain really in any particular action, but you take it and you watch what happens. You fold that into the next decision to act. You take that action and you watch what happens and it's a process right and when you and when you think like that you're less afraid to move because you know you're course correcting your whole life and then i think uh, that's absolutely right and i mean honestly that's the scientific method isn't it (laughs) uh you you know we we learn we grow we iterate we build uh our, our next generation of innovations on the back uh, on the shoulders of those that came before us. And that may be us who came before. And, and so I, I look at the research, I'm an academic, I do a lot of research, I do practitioner work too, of course, but I look at the research that I do and the research that I do now, even on the same topic that I did research on 10 years ago is more sophisticated um, and, and just better, it's better. Does that mean my the stuff that I wrote and the studies that I did 10 years ago or 15 years ago weren't valuable? Well, of course they were, but that's the whole scientific endeavor is that you're building piece by piece. You're building, putting, adding bricks to the wall and making things better, right? And that's what we do as leaders and organizations. So if I ever have, I, I, I love, there's this book called The Sin of Certainty. And it's a, it's actually a religious book. Um, and it's talking about dogma and such and how we it's need to It's a wonderful careful. title. Yeah. And we need to be careful about dogma in all aspects of our life. But as leaders, we can really easily fall into the trap of being overly confident and even arrogant about our own perspectives. Uh, and if we, if we get to the point where we feel like we know better than everyone around us and that we have it figured out, that 
is a recipe for your downfall. You need to have intellectual humility. You need to recognize that you don't know everything. You're leaning on the expertise of people around you. You're constantly taking in new information. And that means that sometimes you're going to switch um, tactics. You're going to switch strategies even, and you're going to go down a different path because you realize something else is going to suit you better. That is not weakness. That is strength. And that is, that is true confidence. And so that's what we need more of, I think, as we try to lead. You just used a word that I think is really key and I want to underscore it. You said the word grow. I think that most of my clients' chief complaint before they even realize that it is their chief complaint is that they want to grow. So the idea that you're going to make a good decision, get it right, and you're there is actually in some way anathema to them because they want to keep being challenged. They, I always say like the tree wants to grow, the bird wants to fly, and so do we, and so do they. They don't want to be there. They think they do, but then they realize that what they love most of all is just growing, feeling alive which is how you feel when you're growing. So yeah, I like that you mentioned that. Yeah. Of- well, Madeline, this has just been a fun conversation. I know at the time, and again, it has flown by. Uh, we could go on and on and on, it but really has- <laughs> uh, I will let you, um, we'll wrap up and I'll let you get on with your busy day. But before we close, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. So um, let's see, everything is on my website at madelineweiss.com. There are buttons close to the top for the online courses and the book. And I would love to hear from any of you for a uh, complimentary strategy session. And the final word for the day it's interesting. This is, this is very important and doesn't always come up in the body of my conversation when I have conversations like this, but it is this good company. Again, you can have a great decision. You can even be committed to it, which you need to be if the good decision is going to thrive, but the company you keep, the environment in which you work and live is so critical. And we don't get to choose our parents necessarily and God love them, but we do get to choose um, as adults, we can make decisions on who is in our life and the people who help us to thrive in life are um, what we should allow. I love it. I love it. Thank you, Madeline. It has been a real pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Madeline can do for you. Check out her courses, her materials. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Check out my new book, The Future Leader, creating and transforming next-gen organizations. Stemming from two decades of professional experience and over 600 in-depth interviews with executives, thought leaders, and scholars from across the globe, 
the future leader will help you explore the ordinary, everyday actions that will help you to prepare to lead in the future of work, to respond to an uncertain future, and to produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue, what some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There is no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of your problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. 